Okay, well, good afternoon, everybody. Um, and welcome. Thank you very much. At least there's some people paying attention. What was that? At least there's something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. That went over my head too. Um, so, this is our third in a series of. Um, we'll, we'll do the. You show, you show Carol, okay? It's not very good for audio. <laughs> um, so, we're going to do the third in a series of the good, the bad, and the ugly um, today. And I've been asked to talk about Abraham. So, does anyone. What, what are your thoughts when you think about Abraham? Who, who was Abraham? Hero of the faith. Hero of the faith. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> old, old Abraham. Yep. Father of the faith. Yep. <laughs> and I'm one of them, and so are you. <laughs> oh, a daughter. Yeah. So we think of Abraham as this giant of the faith. But he's also a giant of the, not just the Christian faith, but the Jewish faith and of Islam as well. So the three, uh, what we call the three great monotheistic faiths, have Abraham as their, their father, if you like, of, of their faith. So often you think of people like Abraham in the same light as Moses, um, David, um, other great leaders, particularly of the Old Testament. So as I was thinking about this, I think about what is it about these heroes of the faith that, that makes them heroes and what is it about them that we, we, we need to talk about their apparent ugly sides or, or their bad sides and you think of Abraham and think hero of the faith um, surely he hasn't got a bad side has he no, or, or an ugly side this is Abraham we're talking about um, so one of the things I heard some years ago from someone was that all, all the major leaders in the Bible and this has always stuck with me had some major flaw with them. They all went some, through some desert type experience and all had some major flaws and committed major um, sins, if you like, in, in their lives. And I was thinking too about Abraham, what, why do we feel a need to talk about their bad sides? Um, why do we need to? Is it, is it because we get disillusioned um, when we hear of their failings? Do they even have failings? Do, do we, you know, do we tend to not think of them so highly. And as Australians, we, we tend to have this called puppy syndrome, where if someone's up there, we tend to want to knock them down. Okay? And whereas people in, in the US, for example, if someone's up there, we say we actually want to be like them. But here in Australia, generally, we think, no, we just want to knock them down and find some flaw, get the dirt out on them, and see what we can find out. But I think with um, people like this, that the, the reason for a series like this is because when we see people like Abraham, um, Samson, David, Adam and Eve and so on, and we see their flaws, it's often then easy to see them just, just as people like us. They're people that we can relate to because we see ourselves, if we're honest, as people who fail as well. And we see them as just like us. And we see this with, with Abraham as well. So just going through some stuff that I've found out about, about him, over 3 billion people on, on the planet, so pretty, almost half the world's population, claim Abraham as the father of their faith. So Christianity, Judaism and Islam. Abraham was promised by God to have descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky. And in the Bible, his story is found in Genesis, and I'll take you through a few readings of that in just a few moments. But he's also commented on in the New Testament, 
So if you look at the story of, um, of Jesus and Zacchaeus, for example, when Zacchaeus, the tax collector, one of the hated people of, that, of Jesus' time, um, is in the crowd up, up a sycamore tree in Jericho, and Jesus says to him, I'm going to have dinner at your house today. And what does Zacchaeus do? He, he says, Lord, I'm going to give away all my things to the poor. Anyone I've ripped off, I'm going to give, give back four times the amount. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, today salvation has come to this house because this person too is a son of Abraham. So what does that mean as well? We'll look at that a bit more too. Also, the Quran talks about Abraham and he's mentioned throughout the Quran as one of the great prophets of the, of the Muslim faith. Abraham's family left what is now modern-day Iraq um, early on to travel northwest along the trade routes and the Euphrates River to the place called Haran. And then Abra Abraham, whose name at that time was Abram, A-B-R-A-M, his name was Abram back then, he settled down in Haran, which is now modern-day Israel, with his family. He married Sarah, whose name was Sarai, S-A-R-A-I at the time, and entered into a lifelong partnership with her. Now, the ages that we deal with at that time, this time of the, in the, in the biblical story are interesting as well. So Abraham, a Abram was in Haran at the age of 75 when he got this call from God to leave his home and his family behind and follow God into a strange land. So does someone want to read this? Who's the person that reads the thing for me? Not here. Yeah. Who wants to... So there's this great promise that, um, that Abraham gets from God as this call. He's 75 years old. Okay, so I don't think anyone here is 75. Uh, Mark? No, sorry. I'm not the oldest here. Okay, is that right? Um, you're only as old as you feel. And it's interesting too, because um, Carol and I have been discussing this. What do you mean by that? Uh, <laughs> Carol and I have been discussing this for the last couple of days. I, I turned 48 on Friday, and um, and we talked about this thing of you know and about coming up to 50 and all that sort of thing. And what have you done with your life? And, and where are you going? Where are you headed? Um, and has your life had meaning? And have you had an impact? And so on. So. Abram is 75 years old when he gets a call from God. Now, most people are, um, you know, pretty close to death when, when they're 75. Um, John was 75 when he passed away, didn't he? Right, John was 75, okay. So, so if you think of it in that sense. Hey, Neil, is your almost 50 you you're into buying your red NG? Buying your red NG? Red NG, oh, midlife crisis, you mean? <laughs> so, I had that a while ago, actually. So Abram then gets the call from God. He takes Sarai, his wife, I think that's how you say it, Sarai, and he also takes his nephew, Lot. Remember this person called Lot? Think of Solomon and Gomorrah. And they take their possessions and they, they departed. They moved south into the land of Canaan, a land inhabited by the Canaanites, as it happens. And then God then tells Abram his descendants would inherit the Canaanite land. And then, though, comes this, um, probably the first ugly side that we know of from 
Abram's life. And does someone want to read this if you can if you can read the text from back there? questions. I was going to say, what are your thoughts, but also what are your feelings as you as you read that story? I, I saw a few exclamations at the back there. Um, what, what, what do you feel when you, and think, when you look at that story of what Abram did, and what do you think his motives were? Bloody selfish. Selfish? Yep. Well, he was trying to Protect himself. Okay, so he thought, well, I'm going to die. So he didn't want his wife to become a concubine either. So. Well, he, he thought that was less of a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so what else? What, what are the, What are some of the feelings that you know? Do, do you feel strongly about that? Do you, what, do you feel angry? Do you think, what the hell is he, is he doing? Do you think, well, is it is it justified at all or not? Well, as much as it's terrible. To read today, you, you wouldn't dream of doing something like that today. I mean, I, I don't know. What if he was right? Okay. What if they had been killed? What do you think of that? So, 
So this is this is one of the things. So he's basically he's acting out of fear. Okay, Abram. Um, he's acting out of self-protection, um, and he says to Pharaoh, "Just, just, just what well, says to his wife? Just tell him you're my sister." And then so Pharaoh does that, and and she becomes his um, his concubine. Well, that's right, and and in that sense, that you know, it's um, <laughs> so so Proverbs talks about dishonest gain as well. So maybe you can see it like that. So, but then though, and all through the life of Abraham, you see you see God stepping in and trying to, in some sense, not fix the situation, but provide grace. So God steps in here and exposes Abram's cowardice, if you like, for tipping off his wife to, to Pharaoh. And God uses Pharaoh, the arch enemy, to do that. So it says that, um, if you look back at the, the passage, um, the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? And so Pharaoh is the one who, who, who does a lot of the work in this and, and tries to fix the situation. And so throughout the scriptures you see that God often works through people who are not necessarily God's people. So that's one, one thing to come out of this as well. So Pharaoh is the arch enemy. And another thing too, you could say, well, nothing's ever, um, I don't know, it's maybe black or white in this as well, because Abram might have been acting out of sincerity, not, not justifying that, but, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a possibility he thought, well, you know, that, that's, that's maybe the best you could think of at the time. So what happens then? Abraham returns to Canaan with Lot, his nephew, and Sarai. But then Abram um, and Lot have a dispute over grazing land for their herds. And so Abraham allows Lot to, to choose the land that he would take. So Lot chose, chose um, fertile plains to the east, and Abraham took the hills to the west of the country. So the land where Lot went includes the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? We think of Sodom and Gomorrah, the great cities of sin that God destroyed um, for, for certain reasons. Um, and it's interesting to, to note that. We often think, and traditionally we think that God destroyed those cities because of their sexual sin. But actually it says a bit further on that they destroyed, God destroyed those cities because they didn't take care of the poor. That's what we're told in the scriptures. So God again comes to Abraham and renews his promise, despite all this. So God, despite Abram's cowardice in this situation with Pharaoh, God comes to him again and renews his promise and says, I'm still going to, through you, have these, you're going to have these descendants which will be the you know, number of the grains of sand on the seashore. So again, God shows generosity and grace despite Abraham's contradictions in his life. And we think of that in our own lives as well that despite our own contradictions, God continually works through us, despite our own humanness. So Lot moves to Sodom, and, and he was captured by, when local tribes attacked the city. Abram then, who's now very wealthy, because of his, his, um, his, his deal with Pharaoh, arms, arms his men and pursues Lot's kidnappers, and he rescues Lot. So he, he shows a lot of courage, uh, in doing that as well. And Abram now, as we know, he's got a lot of dancing years, and he hasn't got any children either as well. So him and Sarai didn't have any kids. They're, they're old and, and advancing years. And God reaffirms again that he was 
here for land in the Niles, the Euphrates River, that area as well, to Avon Fitzendon as well. So what happens then is that with God over and over affirming these promises of descendants to Abram, Sarai, his wife, makes a suggestion. Do you know what the, the, the suggestion is that she makes to Sorry? Surrogacy? Sorry, I've had to sleep with Pharaoh so that you have to sleep with God anyway. Pretty much. So, in the ancient world, that's a criminal. It was, it was a custom in the ancient world to offer, to offer a substitute to bear a child to ensure the continuation of the family. So, Sarai offered Hagar, her Egyptian handmaid, to Abram to bear him a child. So, Abraham said, yep. And at the age of 86, Hagar bore Ishmael. Okay, so Abram's first child was Ishmael. And Ishmael is, is seen as, as the line from where um, Islam comes. Okay, because he was, he was uh, I guess, on the, on the Arab side. I wonder how enthusiastic Abraham was about that woman. Who knows? Despite his ugliness, 
he defines Abraham as a father of many nations. And that's the way God sees him, despite his, his ugliness. So that's, that's the grace of God that we see. So what we see then is that God also revealed the promises wouldn't come to Abraham through Ishmael, these promises of a, being a father of many nations, but through another son that would be born to Sarah in a year's time. So this is where, at this point, Abraham laughed at this promise because Abraham was 99 years old at the time and Sarah was 89. So when Abraham laughed, God said the boy's name would be Isaac because the name means he laughs. The name Isaac means he laughs. So then what happens is God came again to Abraham to speak to him in the form of uh, some companions or some angels, if you like. And they were on their way to Sodom to destroy the city for its wickedness. And if, this is another sense of where Abra Abraham, and this is a good part of it, he, he pleads with God, and it's like, almost like God actually changes his mind. Let me read from Genesis 18, verses 16 to 33. It says, When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, which God was about to destroy. And Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm, what I'm about to do, as he destroys Sodom? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin is so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing. And you're, you're supposed to be a compassionate God, he's saying. You're supposed to be righteous and just. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not you, the judge of the earth, do right? Then the Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. So God listens to Abraham's plea, his desperate plea, and, and it's like he, he, as I say, he climbs his ear and, and listens and says, Okay, what you say, I'll do it. Then Abraham gets a bit more bold. He speaks up again and says, Though I am nothing but dust and ashes, I'll speak to you again, God. What if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. So God again listens and considers, considers Abraham's plea. Once again, Abraham spoke to God, What if only 40 are found there? And God said, For the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? And God says, I will not do it if I find 30. Then Abraham says, How about 20? For the sake of 20, I won't do it. And Abraham, well, I've got this far, I'll go a bit further. <laughs> May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only ten can be found there? And God answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. So it's like 
through Abraham's pleas with God, God seemingly changes his mind and says, well, actually, actually, for the sake of ten people today, I won't destroy Sodom. And so you see again the grace of God. So you see in this story of Abraham and really through all of the characters we're going to be talking about in this series, I think it's often really the story of God and God's grace more than the story of the people themselves. And God working through these people despite their own failings and flaws. family by wanting them to leave before he destroyed the city. And this is where you know, one of your Sunday school stories you might have been told that Lot's wife was turned to a pillar of salt because she looked behind her when the city was being destroyed. And then what happens after this, Abraham meets with a ruler called Abimelech. And do you know what, what Abraham does then to do with his wife Sarah? What he, what he did with, to Pharaoh by saying to <laughs> his wife, telling you my sister, he does it again. So he does it to Abimelech and, and says again, he passes, you know, passes him off as, as, his, as his sister. So, you, you know, with, again, Pam and I were talking about this last night. We think, well, you know, you think he learned his lesson once, but, you know, he, he didn't. And then a year later, Sarah gives birth to Isaac. And then what we have obviously happen is that Sarah grows increasingly jealous of Hagar and Ishmael because you know she's the surrogate mother of the other son. So, Abra- so she says to Abraham, send them out to the desert, to the wilderness. So just, just let them go, let them die out there. And Abraham says, yeah, okay. And so he says to let them, let them go out there. So again, Abraham is willing to let his surrogate mother and his son Ishmael go out to the wilderness to die. This is for the great Abraham. So he's picked off his wife twice. He's, he's um, basically sent his, his surrogate, the surrogate mother of Ishmael and his son Ishmael to go out to the desert to, to die. And again, God steps in. So this is the great Abraham, the father of the faith. This is his, this is his ugly and bad side coming out quite clearly. So, but God steps in again, saves Hagar and Ishmael, and promises Ishmael would also father a great nation through 12 sons. And this is where tradition says they, they were the 12 Arab tribes. Okay, so... famous scene which you see in the in part of Nassar here where Abraham is asked to um, keep that up Abraham is asked to sacrifice his son at Mount Moriah sacrifice Isaac and again at the time if you look at this in context children are often sacrificed as burnt offerings to a variety of deities a variety of gods in that time in that time so Abraham submitted to this he, he, he apparently heard from God sacrifice his 
I'll do it. What, what do you think are some of the feelings going through um, Abraham's mind? So Abraham actually goes up and, and is about to sacrifice his son, but at the last moment God says, hold on, don't actually sacrifice him. And there's a, there's a ram that is caught in the bushes, and they say to sacrifice that ram instead. And that, that is often seen as a pointer to, to what Jesus did, um, a lamb, a lamb of God, administers a sacrifice for us and takes away the sins of the world. seen, traditionally I think it's seen as a test of Abraham's faith, that God never intended, that's why he stepped in the last minute, um, said actually don't to see how far you would go. So it's seen as a test of Abraham's being totally obedient to God, even to the point of sacrificing his own son. Um, now we, we think of that, I think, and, and see it as, well, what sort of father would do that? Um, what sort of God would do that? And Showing himself to the other gods and the other followers of other gods to show himself as the God not to do what these other gods were, yep. apparent gods were asking. Can I check in on being hobby horses? Penal substitution. No, no, yeah, that. that. <laughs> no, I, think, I think this is the, the reaction of people hearing the story would have been um, this is like the other gods who demand a child. Punchline. Yeah. God doesn't use an. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't use it. He substitute with an animal. Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually nothing about forgiveness. It's nothing about that. It's just saying that yeah. human sacrifice yeah. is bad and evil and totally wrong. Yeah. And, and Yahweh does not want sacrifices.
that, um, that yeah, God chose himself to be different from the other gods who desired human sacrifice. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's important for us to see the context of, of the time. And we're a completely different culture today, obviously, you know, about probably 3,000 years later. The story is also seen, as I mentioned, as a foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Jesus um, as, as well. So what happens then in Abraham's life is that um, Abraham sends a servant to find a suitable wife for Isaac um, among Abraham's relatives. Um, and so the servant returns with Rebecca. Rebecca marries Isaac and they have Esau and Jacob um, as sons. And so what happens then is the Jewish covenant passes down through Jacob who would have 12 sons who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And likewise, Jacob's sons would include Joseph and Judah. And the birthright would continue through Joseph um, and, and then through Judah. And that's important for the establishment of Jesus. If you look at the Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel actually too, there's, there's this sort of family tree which you'll see those names in there as well. There's been a trend in um, the last probably 15, 20 years or so to use Abraham as a tool of reconciliation um, between, um, particularly between Islam and Christianity um, as well. And so you might have seen a, a term that says coexist. Um, and it's, 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 a, it's a thing, basically it's an interfaith thing about saying that you know, Jews, Muslims, Christians, we're all, we all come from, from Abraham. So it's this idea of let's all, we've got this common ancestry, if you like, let's all work together and not fight each other. Um, and not, not try and uh, kill each other. And so the idea is that if, if ever Muslims and Christians and Jews are going to live together, it's through this common line of, of Abraham, this common understanding of who Abraham um, is. So Abraham is, is seen as, as most famously as the father of monotheism. So the, mon the three great monotheistic faiths, monotheism meaning one, one God, um, Islam, Judaism, Christianity. And the stories we see in the Bible describe overall, despite the ugliness, his hospitality and peaceableness and his faith and obedience to God. Now that you might see that as questionable in terms of you know, offering up his son Isaac. Um, but if you look at the story of Abraham, you see it's typical of human nature in a lot of ways. And we, all, we all have our contradictions and our good and dark sides. And it's an interesting commentary in these last few weeks of, of um, terrorist attacks in Manchester, London, and, and you know, here in Melbourne as well. And the talk about Islam and, and its relationship to that. And we think just as good and bad has been done in the name of Christ over many, many years. Think of the Crusades and stuff that happens these days as well. And the US apparently a you know, supposedly Christian country bombing um, Iran and Afghanistan and places like that. Good and bad is also done in the name of Islam. And so Abraham, the father of Christianity and Islam in a lot of ways, is a good metaphor for the truth of this quote from um, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was a, a Russian writer, who said that the line separating good and evil passes not through states or even through ideologies, not between classes or between political parties, but right through every human heart. So we're all, we've all got this good and evil in us, is what, is what I see. That Abraham, um, the story of Abraham brings this out, that we're not better because we're Christian, um, we're not better than, than Muslims or any other people groups because we, we happen to be Christian. 
but we all have this, this good and bad in us. And you look at, at Abraham and, he's, and he's, what, he, what he does to his, to his wife and, um, and sending Ishmael out to the desert to die, basically. You look at that and you think, well, God is a God of grace who works through any of us. We've seen before the, the, his amazing grace at the, at the memorial service this afternoon. The, the writer of Amazing Grace, um, the, the story goes that John Newton, who wrote it, was a slave trader when he wrote that hymn. And, and it's interesting, this, this great and probably the most famous hymn you've ever heard of is written by a slave trader. And so we, we all have these contradictions within us. You know, we all have our good and dark sides. And this, is, this is the story that I get from Abraham, that despite that, God works through each of us. God will and does. And that's, that's the idea of grace. That we don't have to come up to a particular standard to be accepted by God, that God works through us and will not just love us, but give us a task to do, give us a job to do, um, including eating Play-Doh. <laughs> <laughs> dogs. And God will do that and ask us to be like a little child in terms of trust and obedience um, to him as well. So... Um, so I've learned a lot myself looking at Abraham's story. Carol did a fair bit of research for me and um, it's found out a lot about his life and about who he was and what he did. Um, it's fascinating stuff. And so we see a lot of parallels um, in our own lives with someone like him. So, um, and I love how the Bible yeah, doesn't, doesn't show just the nice bits. You know, it shows it as it is. It shows all the ugliness, um, all the, the bad stuff in there as well. So um, I'll leave it there. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Neil.